Today's episode is brought to you by The Gallery. Are you tired of staring at your blank walls and dusty picture frames that have been hanging up there for weeks and weeks while you've been stuck in quarantine? The Gallery is a curated collection of photographs from around the world. While we are all unable to travel, this is a great time to bring a piece of the world to you. All prints are made from 100% recycled aluminum, giving your wall the gallery finish. Right now, the gallery is offering our listeners 15% off their purchase by using the code 15OFF. That's 15OFF. Go to thegallery.com. That's T-H-E-G-A-L-R-Y dot com. So your walls will never be boring again. Hello, folks, and welcome to yet another episode of Four Cores with Josh McKinney. Thanks for joining me today. Very excited about what we've got on the docket. Here just momentarily, I'm going to have a full court press segment where I share my thoughts on a recent Major League Baseball story that got me a little heated, the Fernando Tatis Jr. situation. I'll explain more about that in full court press in just a moment, but that's what I'll be talking about. After that, off the wall returns as I explain the drop third strike rule that exists in Major League Baseball and softball and some of the higher levels of those sports. After that, this day in sports history, and then my wife Christine is back for the first time in a while as she joins me for Ranky Panky. We're going to count down our top five Tim Burton films later on. So make sure you stick around for all of that. Got a fun show ahead on Full Chorus with Josh McKinney. Right now, let's get to that Full Court Press. Okay, folks. So something that happened in Major League Baseball recently got me heated. Now, this happened on Monday, August 17th. It was a game between the San Diego Padres and the Texas Rangers, okay? Padres led by seven runs, 10-3 in the eighth inning. Bases loaded, 3-0 count, right? Fernando Tatis Jr., the Padres' young star, is a shortstop, 21 years old, in his second season in the major leagues. His dad played for a long time, Fernando Tatis Sr. I remember watching him for many years. Anyway, the pitcher Juan Nicasio grooved a pitch over the middle on 3-0. Three balls, no strikes. Tatis hit a home run, a grand slam. 14-3 was the score after that, and the Padres went on to win easily. Now, according to the Padres manager, he gave Tatis the take sign. So said, do not swing at this because it's a 3-0 count. So he was not happy. He did congratulate his young star, but told him, hey, you got to learn from this. He said after the game, it's a learning opportunity for him. He'll grow from it. The Rangers manager was not excited about it either. He said, quote, it challenged the unwritten rules in today's games. Here's the thing. There are certain unwritten rules in baseball I can get behind, and this is clearly not one of them. Here's the deal, and a lot of major league players have come out in support of Tatis. He said himself, you know, next time I'll probably take the pitch. I had to learn. And he's a 21-year-old kid. But, sure, maybe he missed the sign. But what the heck is wrong with a player swinging for the fences? His team's up seven runs. Bases loaded. First career grand slam is what he was looking for. There's a saying in baseball recently, let the kids play. And that's the truth, you know, if you're not being disrespectful. He didn't sit there and stare at it forever. He didn't stare down the pitcher. He just ran around the bases and celebrated. 
Because, I mean, it's a grand slam. It's your first ever. You're going to remember that. And obviously, people are going to remember it now. But other players have come out in support of Fernando Tatis. Even legendary players. I mean, we have Hall of Fame players coming out in support of Fernando Tatis. Johnny Bench, one of the greatest catchers of all time, he tweeted, So you take a pitch, now you're 3-1. and one. Then the pitcher comes back with a great set of pitch, 3-2. and two. Now you're ready to ground out into a double play. Everyone should hit 3-0. and oh. Grand slams are a huge stat. So there you go. The great Johnny Bench backing up Fernando Tatis. Trevor Bauer, one of the most outspoken players. He's a pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds. Very outspoken on social media and in general. He said, hey, Tatis Jr., listen up. One, keep swinging 3-0 if you want to, no matter what the game situation is. Two, keep hitting homers no matter what the situation is. Three, keep bringing energy and flash to baseball and making it fun. Four, the only thing you did wrong was apologize. Stop that. I'm all in with that. Several other guys also commented on it. Reggie Jackson, who's known as Mr. October, said Fernando Tatis, keep playing hard and playing great. It's a pleasure to watch you play. Love your success and the Padres rise to be a winner. Keep leading the way. It ain't easy to hit home runs. Keep bringing energy you have to the game. We need players like you, an all-star. Cubs first baseman Anthony Rizzo also said, if we're supposed to take 3-0, and then the pitcher is supposed to throw us a fastball in 3-1. and So there you go. Those are just a few. I mean, there were several more comments made on social media and in the press by MLB players, and I'm right there with them. Like I said, there are unwritten rules I can get behind. If a pitcher hits one of your batters on purpose, it's always been an unwritten rule to come back and hit one of their batters. I'm fine with that. You know, I don't think you should be throwing at somebody's head or anything like that, but I'm fine with that. You know, the Houston Astros, who (laughs) we know the scandal with the Houston Astros. If you don't, they were found to have cheated during their World Series run a few years ago, banging on a trash can to give signs to the hitter who was up about what pitch was coming. They were using electronic means, and that's just not right. And They have been in a few little scuffles with other teams this year so far. They've had several of their players get hit by pitches, and I don't mind that. You know, I'm not saying you should throw it ahead. Never throw at someone's head, and a fastball especially. Throw a changeup, throw something off speed, hit them in the booty, (laughs) you know. Don't go after somebody's head, but do send a message that, hey, what you did was not right. And Fernando Tatis, there's nothing he did that I have a problem with. Hit a grand slam, young fella. Run around the bases and celebrate. But he was not disrespectful. That's where I draw the line when it becomes disrespectful. He was not disrespectful. Yes, he might have missed a sign. Okay, the dude hit a grand slam. You're up seven runs. Is it really that big of a deal? I mean, come on. The way I understand it, the manager for the Padres was actually returning to the Rangers. He'd been on the staff with them for the last 13 years. So this was his return to Texas, and he was trying not to show them up. But how is it showing another team up? Isn't it kind of being a little too easy on the other team if you're like, hey, I'm just going to take this pitch? Dude, groove the pitch. Don't fall behind 3-0 and if you don't want a guy swinging and hitting a home run on a meatball on a 3-0 and pitch. When you've got to throw it down the middle, dude's swinging. I don't blame him. I think it's the right thing to do in that situation. 10-3. Come on. The guy should be looking for something like that in that situation, if you ask me. So I think I'm backed up by a lot of players, a lot of pundits, legendary players. And it's just, 
this is something that baseball's got to get past. There are unwritten rules that I like. As I said, I gave an example, but this is one that needs to go. I think I saw somebody say if these unwritten rules were so important, wouldn't they be written down? So that's the way it goes. Baseball is the sport that is most kind of stuck in the past, and that's what's hampered its growth. And we need some excitement, especially in 2020. So thank you, Fernando Tatis Jr., for what you did. Really excited about seeing what you do in the future. I see players like you and Ronald Acuna Jr. for the Braves. I love. They just bring so much excitement to the game. Juan Soto for the Nationals. He's a very talented player, and he's a lot of fun to watch. You know, Mike Trout is a veteran player, but still fairly young. One of the greatest players of all time. Some people think he's the best, and he might have that kind of talent. So these guys are making baseball fun, and that's what we need, as long as it's not being disrespectful. I mean, there are times when Acuna did not run out a fly ball where he thought it was a home run and ended up being a long single. That was wrong. I did not agree with that, regardless of him being my favorite player or one of my favorite players. I did not agree with that, and he was benched because of it, and rightly so. So in that respect, yes, I do side with the manager and Brian Snicker, in this case, the Braves manager who made that call. But Fernando Tatis did nothing wrong. He didn't owe them an apology. I mean, it says a lot about his character that he did apologize, but there's nothing to apologize for in this case. If you don't want a guy to hit a home run on 3-0 and on a fastball, don't fall behind 3-0. and it's a, It's a problem all across baseball. You see way more relief pitchers who fall behind. And I know it's not an easy game. I'm not saying it's easy. But come on, throw strikes. That's your job as a relief pitcher. And even a starting pitcher. I mean, the Braves have killed me this year with starters. I mean, Tuki Toussaint, we ended up winning the game. Walked six guys in a recent game. You can't do that. Throw strikes. You know, don't try to do too much. I know there are nerves. I understand. I would be walking everybody probably, but I'm not a major league pitcher. I haven't been doing it my whole life. We've seen guys like Sean Newcomb get sent down because he can't throw strikes, and it's just been a constant battle. We're guys who have such talent and do that, and especially with a relief pitcher. you know That's why I love a guy like Mark Melanson, who's the Braves' closer, who comes in and barely walks anybody. A guy like Josh Tomlin. These guys do not walk people. They're veteran pitchers. They come in, they throw strikes. And a walk is going to happen every now and then. And there are going to be games where you might struggle. But a consistent struggle with throwing strikes is just a thing that happens a lot in baseball anymore. And it happened in this case. If Mr. Juan Nicasio does not want this guy to hit a home run off of him 3-0, and don't fall behind 3-0. and It's as simple as that. You're probably trying to be careful with this batter. But the bases are loaded. You're down 7 already. Throw strikes. And if you fall behind, you're going to have to throw a strike. Dude's going to put it in the seats. There's a lot of home run hitters these days. So I don't have a problem with it at all. That's the full court press for today. Let's get in to Off the Wall. What's that? All right, folks. So in today's Off the Wall segment, I want to talk about a baseball and softball rule that you may not know about. If you're not a regular watcher of baseball, even if you are, I mean, there are a lot of rules in sports that sometimes we learn as we go. So, the drop third strike rule, also known as the uncaught third strike or the non-caught third strike, but most commonly, I think, referred to as the drop third strike. This is where the catcher fails to cleanly catch a pitch that was a third strike of a plate appearance. 
So you have two strikes on a batter. Pitcher throws a strike. That would be a strikeout, right? It absolutely is. But if the catcher drops the ball and there is nobody on first base, the batter can attempt to run to first base before the catcher throws them out or tags them, and then they're safe, even on a strikeout. Now, if there is a runner on first base, the batter is not allowed to run to first base. They're automatically out no matter what. This is to keep the catcher from deliberately dropping a third strike and trying to get a double play or a force out at another base. Now, with two outs, there can be a runner on first base, and the batter can still run because there are two outs. And then they can try to force out either runner, tag out either runner, whatever it may be for that last out. Now, because of this, it is possible for a pitcher to have more than three strikeouts in an inning. There have been numerous pitchers, you know, in Major League Baseball who have struck out four batters in one inning. Interestingly enough, there have not been any pitchers strike out five batters in an inning. It has never happened. Maybe one day, but in the long history of Major League Baseball, it's yet to happen. Don't know if it's happened anywhere else, maybe. But this rule doesn't exist in every level of baseball. It's major leagues, college, high school. But in Little League, there are certain, like, T-ball rules, obviously, is very different. And certain divisions of Little League and lower-level softball, the batter is out, whether the pitched ball for a third strike is cleanly caught by a catcher or not. So it just varies on the division and the rules. But for Major League Baseball, for highest levels of softball, those types of leagues, this rule does exist. A drop third strike, the catcher must throw out the batter at first base, tag them, or, you know, if the bases are loaded in two outs, they can just simply step on home plate and then you force out the guy that was coming home or any of the other bases. So that's the drop third strike rule, one of those off-the-wall rules in Major League Baseball. We'll have another one of these for you next week. Looking forward to it. Haven't done too many of these off-the-wall segments trying to space them out, but this is one of those rules. We've got another kind of peculiar baseball rule coming for you next week that is very similar to the drop third strike rule, and uh, I'll explain that next week. But that's this week's off-the-wall segment. Now I would like to move into the next segment this week, This Day in Sports History. Let's begin this week's installment of This Day in Sports History on August 26, 1971, when National Hockey League player Bobby Orr signed a five-year, $1 million contract extension with the Boston Bruins, the first $1 million contract in NHL history. After 12 seasons in the NHL, including 10 with Boston and 2 with the Chicago Blackhawks, Bobby Orr retired at age 30 in 1978 after injury problems that included over a dozen knee surgeries. Regarded as one of the greatest defensemen in NHL history, Orr was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1979 after the usual three-year waiting period for enshrinement was waived. At 31 years old, Orr was the youngest living player at the time of his induction in history, making him one of 10 players in the sport's history to have the three-year waiting period waived. The legendary Wayne Gretzky was the last player to have that happen in 1999. Orr holds several NHL records, including the most hat tricks by a defenseman with nine. The first defenseman to score both 30 and 40 goals in a single season and also, Orr is the first player to record 100 assists in a season, doing so in the 1970-71 campaign. 
Bobby Orr's career totals include 270 goals, 645 assists, and 915 points in 657 career games played. Next up, we turn our attention to a notable birth, which took place on August 26, 1989, when NBA star James Harden was born in Los Angeles, California. Drafted by the Oklahoma City Thunder with the third overall pick of the 2009 NBA Draft, Harden was traded to the Houston Rockets in 2012, and his career has since taken off. After mostly playing as a sixth man with the Oklahoma City Thunder, Harden has made eight straight All-Star Game appearances between 2013 and 2020 with the Rockets and has led the NBA in scoring each of the past three seasons. The 2018 NBA Most Valuable Player has averaged 25.2 points per game in his career to go with 6.3 assists, 5.3 rebounds, and 1.6 steals per game. An 11-year NBA veteran, Harden currently has the Rockets in the NBA playoffs as the number four-seeded team in the Western Conference, where they are presently battling the Oklahoma City Thunder, his former team, in the first round. Harden averaged 34.3 points per game during the regular season this year to go with 7.5 assists, 6.6 rebounds, and 1.8 steals per game, all above his career averages. The next event we turn our attention to took place on August 26, 2012, when 15-year-old New Zealand golfer Lydia Ko became the youngest LPGA Tour event winner ever, while also becoming the Tour's first amateur winner in 43 years. 24 events in LPGA Tour history have been won by a player younger than 19 years old, and Ko did so a record 12 times. The 44th-ranked women's golfer in the world as of last week, she has won 15 career LPGA Tour events and 20 total professional events. Ko earned her last LPGA Tour victory at the 2018 Meta Hill Championship, where she defeated Minji Lee in a playoff and finished 12 under par for the four-day tournament. In February of 2015, Ko became the youngest player, male or female, to ascend to number one in the world rankings, spending 19 weeks at the top of the rankings. She earned the number one ranking again in October of 2015 and remained there until June of 2017, a 104-week span that represents the fourth longest streak at number one in LPGA Tour history. We finish up on August 26, 2016, when then San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick sat on the bench during the national anthem before a preseason game against the Green Bay Packers in Santa Clara, California. When asked later why he did not stand for the anthem, Kaepernick said, and I quote, I am not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. To me, this is bigger than football, and it would be selfish on my part to look the other way. There are bodies in the street and people getting paid leave and getting away with murder. A few days later, former NFL player and ex-Green Beret Nate Boyer suggested that Kaepernick kneel rather than sit during the national anthem, which Kaepernick continued to do until he opted out of his contract with San Francisco on March 3, 2017, after being informed by the team that it planned to release him. 
Kaepernick remains unsigned to this day, although many other professional athletes have taken up his mantle and are kneeling in support of his cause to this day. Kaepernick's final NFL game came on January 1st, 2017 in San Francisco's 25-23 home loss to the Seattle Seahawks. That's going to do it for this week's This Day in Sports History. Now let's jump into Ranky Panky as I'm joined by my wife, Christine. So, without further ado, it's time for a little Ranky Panky. For today's Ranky Panky, as I said, my wife, Christine, is joining me. Uh, and we are counting down our top five Tim Burton films. Now we're going with feature films that he has been either a director or producer on. There's been about 20 to 25, something like that, amount of movies that he's done that on. And we're doing this because Tim Burton's birthday was August 25th, so he's 62. His whole overall theme, I love his movies. I mean, a lot of them are like animation, claymation. They just have this real dark, almost sad vibe, but the stories are really cool. Some of the movies are based off of like folktales and really cool stories, so I really like his whole theme. There's whole competitions on art and on makeup of trying to recreate Tim Burton's stuff, so he's definitely one to be reckoned with, that artistic mind. Yeah, you say you like his movies, you know, they're not typically my cup of tea, that sort of genre, but there are several of his movies that I do like. Uh, there are some that I haven't seen. Actually, the highest rated film I found of his online on several lists was Ed Wood, 1994. It's a biographical film. Uh, Johnny Depp is in it, apparently. It's, it's based on somebody named Ed Wood. I don't even know who that is. It's, it's a famous guy for something, <laughs> but it was his highest rated film. I think it was like 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. There were several other people I recognized in it, but Johnny Depp has done a lot of Tim Burton films, and we'll have to check that one out, I guess. And then Dumbo, I think, is probably his most recent film I can remember. It's the last one I've seen of Tim Burton's, the new live-action Dumbo film, which I thought was cute. Enjoyed that. I know your mom is a big Dumbo fan, mm -hmm. for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's She's got a, a really pretty tattoo on her ankle. You, you know, we watched that movie a lot as a kid. Just the overall story of it and, like, the mother-child, like, bond. My mama, she'll cry straight up every time she sees that movie. So, yeah, she really was a big fan of Dumbo. I, I don't know how she feels about the new one, but he was real cute. <laughs> so, I'm sure she loved it. Yeah, it was certainly more... Uh kid-friendly than some of Tim Burton's films. He does have some, like you said, claymation animated movies, but they're a little more of the uh, gothic or dark fantasy type stuff. For me, I want to start with an honorable mention I had, and this is one I haven't seen in years, but it came out a few years before I was born, back in 1988, and that's Beetlejuice. Not my favorite. Yeah. I mean, it's a little little weird. <laughs> um, yeah. If I'm trying to remember the plot, I can't remember it exactly. I think there's like these people wreck or something and they're yeah. dead and they're haunting yeah somehow. they're like they're like spirits are like trapped in their house and beetlejuice i kind of am confused too because we haven't seen it in a while but yeah they're they're like trapped in this house and beetlejuice is like he's like this demon like spiritual like ghost character who's like supposed to help them but he's kind of mischievous too like i don't really remember the point of him besides he's just like the main character who you know, messes with them, and it's kind of the bad guy, but sort of anti-hero, too. If y'all are big Beetlejuice fans, I know you're just like, boo, because, like, my analysis sucks, 
But yeah, it was kind of a, a weird film, but super classic for Halloween and like just thematically identifiable by horror and like spooky comedic lovers. Yeah, it's got Michael Keaton in the titular role of Beetlejuice, Winona Ryder, Gina Davis, Alec Baldwin, Catherine O'Hara. So a lot of big name actors and actresses are in that film. Uh, Michael Keaton has done quite a few movies with Tim Burton as well as his Winona Ryder. And they'll be appearing elsewhere on my list as well. But this is my honorable mention, uh, Beetlejuice. I had two kind of down for like an honorable mention, but I think I'm going to select officially my honorable mention to be Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. I can't remember if he was a producer on that or he was, I don't think it was a director, but he was involved. It was one of the films that was kind of listed when you Google like Tim Burton films, like or associated Tim Burton films. But I was stuck between Sleepy Hollow, again, Johnny Depp, and Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. That movie is, I think, the next newest one um, behind Dumbo. And it was really cool because it has like a modern everyday story. And then all of a sudden it just intersects with this like mystical, cool, otherworldly place where like Miss Peregrine is a kind of shape-shifting caretaker. Like she turns into a peregrine falcon. And she takes care of these kids with all these special powers and like crazy abilities. And it's just really cool because I I was thinking, I forgot some of the more boring, normal human parts of the movie where the, you know, main character, the little boy, cannot remember his name, but where he kind of discovers the portal to like get into this world his grandpa introduced, you know, to him. It's really interesting. I encourage you to see it. It's really action-y. There's a lot of kids, really good acting from kids. So that was my honorable mention, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Yeah, and according to Wikipedia, he did direct that. That was 2016, and that was the last movie he did before Dumbo. So all that, you know, I haven't actually seen that movie from the beginning, I don't think. I think you were watching it one day, and I came in in the middle. And from what I saw, it seemed interesting. But having not seen the whole thing, I don't have it anywhere on my list. But uh, maybe one I can check out in full later. Yeah, it's also one that I don't know why I th- I'm thinking that they look like the monsters from A Quiet Place, but there's like monsters in it that only the grandson, only the main character, you know, the male main character can see. And so like they're, they got some really good computer generated effects. Yeah. All right. Number five, I'll go ahead and get to my list, is The Nightmare Before Christmas. Came out in 1993, stop motion animated style. You probably have seen it a lot more than I have. I think I just saw it for the first time a few years ago. I didn't like it as much as some people, but still good enough to crack my list, obviously. And um, has a good soundtrack that I really enjoyed. Came out, I guess, the year you were born, actually, 93. The question that people are always asking, is it a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie? Yes. The answer (laughs) is yes. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, that's my number five. Um, That's on my list, but not number five. I have for number five Sweeney Todd which is a very well known (laughs) Broadway musical that Tim Burton kind of produced or directed in film format it has my girl Helen Bonham Carter she's in a lot of stuff with Johnny Depp I think they just work really well together and she really just does the creepy like the creepy movies I mean that respectfully but she does a lot of dark Victorian even type movies her musical performance and I I guess I can speak to this because I have a bachelor's degree in music and also do musical theater but her performance like a lot of people criticized it but 
she did it differently than a lot of the big major names. Angela Lansbury was a really well-known one who did it. I don't remember if it was in the 80s or 90s. She played Mrs. Lovett. So I think her portrayal of Mrs. Lovett in Sweeney Todd was great. It's really classic. Obviously, it was way produced musically. It's a really cool story, but it's kind of dark and grotesque. But come on, it's literally a Tim Burton movie. And it's about a murderous barber. What do you expect? (laughs) Yeah, funny story. I have not seen that movie. I know a lot about it. I know exactly what it's about. And I know the soundtrack well. Uh, My older cousin, Brandon, I used to ride home from school with him because he was a teacher in my last year of high school. And he would listen to that soundtrack and several other soundtracks a lot. So I'm very familiar with that. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. But yet another Johnny Depp. Tim Burton team up mm-hmm. there, so I've done a lot of them with him. Yeah, if, if you can't handle blood, if mm. you can't handle gruesome scenes, uh, proceed with caution, because it's gross. And it's a tragedy, but like there are some kind of funny, like obviously a lot of dark humor moments, but I guess that's also going on our list of pin Josh down and make him watch this movie with me. <laughs> I think that's up there with, I haven't seen Wicked either, but I've heard a lot about it, so... Those are two movies I think I've got on my list. Confession time. I also have not seen Wicked, the musical. I'm a terrible musical theater person. I apologize, everyone. That's okay, though. We did see Hamilton recently, and it was phenomenal. It was fire. Anyway, (laughs) number four, another stop-motion animated film, 2012 Frank and Weenie. I also saw this for Mm -hmm. the first time a few Halloweens ago, I believe. But uh, anyway, it's about a, a boy whose dog dies, and he uses electricity to bring him back to life and then everybody starts bringing their pets back to life and stuff and they're kind of taking over the town and but it does end on a happy note so you know any dog lover i think as we are uh will enjoy it yeah it's really cute another dog that is in a tim burton movie that is animated is zero from nightmare before christmas that was my number four it's just classic it is both halloween christmas movie i feel like if they redid it some people would revolt but then it could be redone and be so spectacular. So that was my number four, Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay, number three. You know, I've always been a big superhero movie fan, and Tim Burton did a couple of those years ago. He did uh, Batman and Batman Returns. Both of those are in my top three. But number three is going to be Batman Returns, the sequel, which came out in 1992. Had Michael Keaton again. He played Batman. Uh, Danny DeVito was the penguin as a villain in that movie. And then Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. So the main reason I put Batman Returns over Batman, I think Batman, the original one, had a better villain, or at least a better actor playing the villain. But they're both good movies and certainly better than some of the later movies in that same Batman series. I don't like this old series as much as I do the newer Batman series. Uh, I mean, the Heath Ledger as the Joker in The Dark Knight is probably up there at the top. I enjoyed the Lego Batman (laughs) movie as well uh, with Will Arnett, who's hilarious. Yeah, I've got Batman Returns at number three. I don't have any Batman because I am a five-year-old at heart. I have almost all animation and, you know, more kid-friendly ones. Like, that's my theme, though. I just love cartoons and I love animation. Maybe it's because, like, I'll cry at anything, so if I get... I can't handle suspense. Yeah, weird. I work in a haunted house. But I can't handle suspense. So my number three, although not a cartoon, 
was Dark Shadows. That one's not really super new, but kind of newer. Basically, it's about a very wealthy vampire that kind of gets buried alive by the town witch. And um, due to construction, he is unearthed and like goes into restore the family name. And obviously, your boy Johnny Depp plays the main character. He's got my girl Helen Bonham Carter again. Um, she plays a doctor who, well, kind of like a psychiatrist who sort of treats the family. They have a son who I think has um, some mental health issues or um, he's on, maybe on the spectrum or something of that nature. She you know, takes care of him and the other members of the family. It's really edgy, but it also has a lot of antiquated themes and scenes in it. There's a, like the nanny feels like she's drawn to the place and it's kind of a love story too where he, you know, the main character, Johnny Depp's character, the vampire, he falls in love with her and tries to save her. It's again, real dark and spooky, but kind of a love story. There's some silly parts. It is kind of adult. There are some kind of raunchy, like grown-up themes. So it's really not a kid movie, but it's not like real terrible. But I, I like Dark Shadows. Yeah. Like you said, another Johnny Depp movie. You know, when people think of Johnny Depp, I think the first thing that'll come to mind is Pirates of the Caribbean, obviously. But he's done a lot of other great movies and has a really large catalog of movies, even being a voice actor in some. I believe it was Rango, (laughs) one of the newer movies that he was a voice actor in. Oh, yeah. So he's done a lot. Oh, yeah. I'm going to get to number two. As I said, number three was Batman Returns. Number two is Batman, which preceded it, 1989. Michael Keaton, again, is Batman. And like I said, the villain I thought was better in this movie. We had Jack Nicholson as the Joker. And Jack Nicholson is just a great actor all around and can play a great villain. He did a great job with the Joker, as I said. Nothing's going to top Heath Slater. (laughs) He's still in wrestling mode, (laughs) y'all. Heath Ledger. Rest in peace. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, nothing's going to top him. I also enjoyed Jared Leto in Suicide Squad as the Joker and have not yet seen the newer Joker movie, which I heard is pretty dark, but I've got that on my list. I know you probably won't want to watch that one, but it's going to be kind of hard to watch. But (laughs) yeah, Batman from 1989 is my number two. My number two is James and the Giant Peach. I don't even know if you have it on your list, but it was one that he produced. It was one of my first introductions to Tim Burton. I was so mesmerized as a child by the claymation. Like, I love claymation movies and and movies that the animated characters, like, have a texture. I mean, that sounds weird, but it was so cute and, like, kind of heroic. You know, the little boy kind of gets adopted by these imaginary, like, little bug characters that are his friends, and he's you know, in a sad, like, situation, and the songs are really cute. The characters, I mean, even though they're bugs, and I'm like, ugh, bugs. Like, they're all so sweet and good, and so I love James and Giant Peach, and it's just precious. Yeah, I remember seeing that years ago. It's obviously a classic movie that came out in 1996. Uh, I was just scrolling down Wikipedia and seeing, you'll be excited about this, that he's supposed to be an actor in the SpongeBob movie Sponge on the Run next year. Yes. 30, 30 Acre he's supposed to play. I guess. 30 Acre? I don't know. We gonna see. (laughs) But yeah, and he was also an actor in Men in Black 3, which I didn't realize, an alien (laughs) that he played. So I'm sure small roles for Tim Burton, but Mm -hmm. has had acting roles. 
getting back to his his directorial and producer roles <laughs> number one for me is going to be another johnny depp movie edward scissorhands came out the year uh, i was born 1990 i saw part of it on tv years ago went back and watched it a few years ago in full and it's very odd it's different but i think it has a pretty good message that you know obviously this guy gave him scissors for hands and he's different than everybody else but he was still a sweet guy at heart and even though you know he would try to get close to people and he ended up hurting some people and killing some people i yeah. believe but he didn't mean to he was he was almost like just an innocent guy but he had talent you know he could trim the hedges and make incredible things yeah. with it he could cut people's hair mm-hmm. and all that i mean when nona Ryder's in that again diane weist anthony michael hall so another good cast and even though it's kind of weird i just have always kind of liked edward scissorhands uh number one tim burton directed film for me I think there's a a good kind of underlying message for that movie. I mean, I feel it might be something along the lines of just because you don't understand someone or something doesn't mean you have to be afraid of it. Or like, despite your fear of someone or something, it still can be valuable or be useful or they can be useful or valuable. I, I saw that movie probably a couple of years ago and that was the first time I've ever seen it and I was not prepared. I I thought that... Johnny Depp's character, Edward, spoke. I thought he talked regularly. Like, I did not expect... I guess I had seen post-Edward Scissorhands Johnny Depp acting so much that I was expecting him to be a loud, vivacious, like, super developed character. And, I mean, this was pre-Pirates of the Caribbean. This was pre-Sweeney Todd. This was pre-everything. So, it's a really cute movie, too. A little weird, yeah. But it's Tim Burton's movies. Come on. My number one is, of course, an animation, a claymation, Corpse Bride. The story of The Corpse Bride is actually based on a 19th century Russian Jewish folktale. I would love to actually hear the actual folktale. Again, voiced by Helen Bonham Carter. The plot is on Wikipedia. It describes it pretty well, but it's about this young Victorian couple whose family is arranging for them to be married. They meet each other for the first time on their wedding rehearsal. The soon-to-be groom, he is nervous, but he seems to like his soon-to-be bride, Victoria. And he runs off uh, during the rehearsal because he messes up his vows, and he's really embarrassed. And so he goes, he runs out to the woods, and of course it's snowy and creepy and like crickly trees are hanging over. And he's practicing his vows, and he has the ring, and he is just trying to be confident and really get his vows out. And he puts the ring on what he thinks is a tree branch, but it's actually the finger of a corpse <laughs> and it's a bride and she rises from the grave and is like you're my husband now and takes him you know to the afterlife or takes him to the underworld and the whole story is of him trying to get back to his bride victoria and it's really sweet and they kind of fall in love even though they literally just met at their rehearsal they find out who the bad guy is who killed the bride out in the cemetery they get back at him It's really dark, but it's really cute at the same time. So mine is Corpse Bride. Yeah, when we did this list, I figured that was going to be your top one. I know how much you love that movie. came out in 2005, and a lot of people really have enjoyed that. It was very highly rated on most of the lists that I saw. It was definitely in the top six, seven movies, and it would probably be around seven or so for me as well. 
for Tim Burton directed or produced movies because it's pretty good and I tend to like his animated movies more than I do some of his other stuff even though they're ranked a little lower on my list than say Ed Scissor Scissorhands or Batman or something like that but you know he's got a certain style it's different and it doesn't always work for me but there are some good movies as you'll see and you know happy birthday to Tim Burton 62 as I said going back through my list real quick Number five was The Nightmare Before Christmas. Number four, I had Frank and Weenie. Number three, I had Batman Returns. Number two, I had Batman. And number one, I had Edward Scissorhands. And again, mine from five to one was Sweeney Todd, Nightmare Before Christmas, Dark Shadows, James and the Giant Peach, and Corpse Bride. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me again for Ranky Panky, Christine. It's always fun to do this. No problem. And if you guys agree with some of our choices or if we missed a movie that you think absolutely deserves to be watched and get a little more attention, leave us a comment somewhere. This podcast is everywhere. So leave us a comment or, you know, give us a shout out or something and tell us, hey, like you just ranked Tim Burton movies on a sports podcast. What is this? Hey, we did serials a few weeks ago, so truth. we don't always stick to sports. Truth, truth. And as your grandma would tell you, you got to eat your cereal in the morning to be a big, strong boy. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I do love cereal. Anyway, yeah, thanks. <laughs> All right, folks, that does it for yet another week of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. Really enjoyed having my wife back on the show today there, joining us in the closing segment, Ranky Panky. Those who ranked our top five Tim Burton films. Next week, I've got a great guest lined up as Cody Dalton, a sports information director and public information officer at Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory, North Carolina, will be joining me. We'll talk the Atlanta Braves and the Carolina Panthers. Those are two of our favorite teams that we share. And then he'll also join me for a brand new segment I'm introducing next week. So I'm looking forward to having Cody on the show. Now, until then, you can follow me on Twitter at SuperJMac32. Like Full Chorus with Josh McKinney on Facebook. You can find this podcast all over the place. Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and many other platforms. Thanks, folks, for listening to me. I really appreciate it. Can't wait to be back with you next week. This is Episode 17 of Full Chorus with Josh McKinney, and we'll be back next week with Episode 18. Oh, yeah! <laughs>